Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. Did a beloved teacher ever read aloud to your class when you were a kid? Did a friend or a relative, a teacher or librarian, ever hand you a book that became a lifelong favorite? That's what we're talking about today, the magic of reading and the magic of reading role models, individuals who play a crucial part in helping kids succeed. First, I'm delighted to welcome Malcolm Mitchell to the studio. Malcolm's visit to Scholastic today has been a real treat for my colleagues and me. Malcolm is the author of a new picture book, The Magician's Hat. He is also the founder of Read with Malcolm, a youth literacy initiative that promotes reading and book ownership among students in underserved communities. And by the way, Malcolm also won a Super Bowl ring in 2017 as a wide receiver with the New England Patriots. Later, we'll move from football to basketball. Mark Davis, a longtime NBA referee who is based in Chicago, will join us. In his spare time, Mark visits middle schools in cities across the country as part of a program called Time Out for Reading, a collaboration between Scholastic and the National Basketball Referees Association. Mark and his fellow mentors read aloud to kids, stressing the importance of literacy in real-life situations and the power of reading. And yes, they also field a lot of questions about kids' favorite NBA stars. Finally, Greg Worrell, the president of Scholastic Education, will join us in the studio. Greg will talk about his experiences with Houston Real Men Read, a mentoring program in the Houston Independent School District that shows young people the power of books and the power of caring. First, here's author, reading mentor, and Super Bowl star, Malcolm Mitchell. Hi, Malcolm. Welcome to the program. Hi. Thank you for having me. I think this is the first time I've sat next to a Super Bowl winner. (laughs) (laughs) But you're a winner in many more ways, and that's why one reason we're delighted to have you. Thank you so much. First, congratulations on the book. It's adorable and wonderful. I love it. I know. I'm super excited. I'm glad the world will be able to see it now. It must be so exciting after all of the work. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of work that went, that got put into it. It's uh, been quite an uh, interesting process, but one I've definitely enjoyed. Great. Could you read an excerpt for our listeners? But I don't want you to give away any plot twists. Of course. I'll read for them. I'll start at the very beginning. Family fun at the library was filled with exciting events, book scavenger hunts, storytelling, reading rallies. Today, for the first time, a magician arrived with a bag of tricks and a big hat. Everyone gathered around to see the magician perform. He bent the spoon just by looking at it. He made playing cards float in front of his nose. The magician could even make a coin appear from a puppy's ear. When he waved his wand, a banana vanished. This was just a warm-up act. Now the magician was ready to dazzle the crowd with his favorite trick of all. The magician's magic started with the story. 
When I was a kid, my mom and dad brought me to this library on Family Fun Day. During the book scavenger hunt, I wandered into the reading room. There were hundreds of books. Books about dogs, books about planes, books about the sun, flowers, rain, cities, and circus dancers. Out of the hundreds of books, one special book jumped out at me. It was a book about magic. <laughs> All right. Did that really happen to you? Yes. Um, it was not a book about magic, <laughs> but I remember walking into a bookstore and there were, were several books that jumped out at me. And I remember specifically picking up um, Exclamation Mark, which is a book um, that Scholastic published Woo! that inspired me to continue to pursue um, the ideal of me becoming an author. Yet you struggled, as many authors do, you struggled with reading as a kid. Tell us what that frustration was like. You know, when I flash back and think about you know, being a kid and trying to read, um, it helps me understand where kids are today. I remember sitting in the classroom afraid of being called on during popcorn reading. I remember starting arguments with the teachers because I simply didn't want to read. And to be completely honest with you, I remember not going to class some days when I know we'd have read aloud sessions. And I want to make sure that every kid understands that it's okay to be frustrated but just keep going because reading can truly help you. And that was the idea and theme of the message I was trying to send in the magician's hat. Oh, well, well done. Bravo. Yeah, thank you. What about when you got to the University of Georgia? I want to hear about that famous book club. <laughs> <laughs> when I got to the University of Georgia, I noticed that my ability to read was very different than my peers. Um, and once I noticed that, I wanted to fix it. So I began picking up books and reading. And after, you know, about six months of reading on my own, I wanted to join a community of readers, uh, re people that could influence me to continue to read. And we could also just talk about the books we read. So I would start searching for a book club. And a random encounter in a bookstore led me to joining a book club with a bunch of ladies who supported me since the day we met. Oh, they must be so proud of you now. Yeah, they. I saw them last week, actually. So. Oh. <laughs> I hope they all got autographed copies of the book. <laughs> it sounds to me that if you could choose between a Super Bowl ring and a shelf full of books, you'd choose the books. For sure. And I, and I try to push um, that message to kids that football is phenomenal. And I will play this game until I can anymore because I love it with all of my heart. But when the game ends, you have to have something that continues to elevate the person you are. And I think books can do that. In 2015, you founded Read with Malcolm. Could you tell us about the foundation and why you started it and what its mission is? So once I began my journey into reading, I found out that all the ideas I had of reading, helping people accomplish their goals, making dreams reality, reaching your full potential was true. I found that out because it's exactly what happened to me. And once I saw how it shifted the way I viewed the world and um, opened my mind to completely new experiences, I wanted to make sure that kids understood that reading could do the same for them and it could help them go beyond anything they could ever imagine. So I created Read with Malcolm 
uh, program set in place where I go into schools and I promote literacy. And my foundation, Share the Magic Foundation, actually works uh, and strives to eradicate kids not having age-appropriate books at home. I see. And what are some of the most fun reactions, most memorable moments you've had with these young people? Some of the most memorable moments happen when a kid grabs the book and clutches it and holds on to it. He or she smiles when the book is handed to them. Um, And at the end, where they ask, can I have this book? And I tell them yes, and they smile and run off to show their friends. So you know you're changing lives. Yeah. Amazing. What are some of your favorite books? Some of my favorite books. Um, The first fiction book I actually picked up was The Hunger Games. So that series is is one of my favorites. Um, Obviously, the Harry Potter collection. (laughs) Um, The Glass Castle. Some of my favorite picture books are The Giving Tree, Happy Dreamer, Exclamation Mark. Um, I just finished A Wrinkle in Time, which I loved. Um, I'm excited to read Wonder next, so um, I just keep it going. Wow, that's great, Malcolm. You talk a lot about your mom helping you overcome adversity. She had many struggles in her life. Could you tell us about her? Yeah, my mom is a very special person. And without a doubt, I wouldn't be the person I am or striving to become a better person um, if it wasn't for her. That's why in The Magician's Hat, when you open it up inside, you'll see I dedicate um, the book to her because she always allowed me to believe dreams could become reality. And she never, regardless of what her background was or the challenges she faced, she never discouraged me and said nothing was achievable. When I told her I wanted to play in the NFL, she said, go for it. When I told her I wanted to join the book club, she said, go for it. When I told her I want to become an author, she said, go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And having that support from her has been uh, truly a blessing. Well, it's really paid off, which yeah. it's lovely to see. I'm sure she's so proud of you, too. Yeah, she's awesome. <laughs> did you ever invite her to the book club? <laughs> yes, the ladies invite her constantly. Um, <laughs> she's going to have to come now. <laughs> yeah, she's going to sooner or later. Yeah. What advice do you have for kids out there who may be struggling to read and really it's it seems beyond them right now? Yeah. For kids who struggle to read... The first thing I would say to them is that I understand completely because I struggle to read. Um, It can be tough. It can be challenging. It can be very scary. And you can feel alone in a classroom when you know you're that kid that can't read effectively. But I would encourage them to keep going and practice it like they practice their favorite video game, like they practice their favorite sport, um, like they practice to be whatever they want to be and truly give it an opportunity to change their lives because reading can help you. Um, I know it's challenging, but if you keep going, I promise it'll get easier. Do you have any strategies for parents who may just not be able to get their kids to read? What helps me usually when I'm talking to kids more than anything else is being vulnerable and being um, just try to open up and connect to the student the best way I can. How can I relate to the situation they're in? And once I find out what exactly that is, let myself be as vulnerable as possible and to let them know that, listen, I couldn't read either, and I'm not scared to tell you that. So don't you be scared to um, change that for yourself. 
Oh, I'm so glad you're out in the world, yeah. Malcolm. That's great. It means a, a lot to these kids. Um, I'm sure we have more than a few sports fans out there, though. <laughs> so I want you to tell us what it's like to yeah. be on a Super Bowl winning team. <laughs> it's really hard to explain. Because when I first got to the Patriots, I was just trying to make the team. Um, and going from you know, playing in college to trying to make uh, the team to being a Super Bowl winner is it goes in a flash. Um, and I'm just so happy and thankful that I had the opportunity to be a part of one um, and hopefully more in the future. Uh, but I don't know how to explain it, to be honest. I try to share it with as many people as I can, though, um, because – it wasn't just myself who got me to that point. It was a lot of help from a lot of different individuals. Does Bill Belichick smile? Yes, he does, actually. He cracks jokes every now and then, too. <laughs> oh, that's great to hear. <laughs> he, he mainly talks about football, but every now and then you can you can catch him off guard. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's funny. Okay, well, I know you're rehabbing an injury and hoping yes. to get back on the field, but in terms of books and reading and your foundation, what's next for you? You know, I have some more books to write with the Scholastic family. Um, I have more books to read, and I'll continue to do both. Also, be an advocate for literacy and trying to get kids to understand the importance of reading, trying to get the world to understand that reading can change lives and books can change the world um, while being the best athlete I can possibly be. Thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you. I appreciate you. I'm a Giants fan, but I may be changing my allegiance. Oh, you have, <laughs> did you have to say that? <laughs> no, it's been such a pleasure and continued success to you and to the young readers whose lives you're touching. Thank you. I appreciate you having okay. me today. Now... NBA referee and timeout for reading mentor Mark Davis joins us in the studio. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here, mm. and we're very impressed by the work you do. So we just wanted to learn a little bit more about it. I am an NBA referee, and I have been for the past 20. I'm just completing, coming close to completing my 20th season in the league, um, and I enjoy that work very much. I'm also... Uh, on the executive board for the National Basketball Referee Association, uh, who represents not only the 64 men and women who officiate NBA basketball games, but also well over 120 officials who referee both in the NBA's Development League, the G League, as well as the WNBA. And you're also a participant in the Time Out for Reading program. Yes, I am. I am. Last I would, but not least. I would maybe say... That in addition to my time out for reading duties, I have these other little ancillary jobs like refereeing and <laughs> union executive. Because <laughs> time out for reading really does take up a lot of our energy. You know, time out for reading was developed four years ago. The NBRA partnered with Scholastic. They provide the books for the sixth grade classrooms, as many as 30 in a year in all the NBA cities. And we have a reading club in each class. And we try to compete. The, the The premise is that you're competing against the other 29 cities. That your rep, your classroom is representing Boston against New York, 
Brooklyn, Chicago, and all the Laker fans in LA and, and the team and the classroom that reads the most is going to re- win the prize at the end. And that's the premise behind it. The goal is to model reading, to be an example of what readers are. And so we read to the children. And, uh, you know, we've given over 5,000 books away. One of the very much silent but intended consequences is that then the children take, take the book home. And when they take the book home, we encourage them to share that book with their, with their friends, with their siblings, and then kind of create a home library so for their younger siblings and older siblings to have access to these great books. Then we've not only modeled good reading behavior for them, we're trying to encourage them to then model that to people in their communities and people in their homes particularly. Could you tell us what a typical visit is like to a school or a classroom? Yes. Um, generally, we try to, um, you know, going into the adage that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. We usually try to have some type of engagement with the kids, ask some questions. They usually have general questions of about your job. We talk about people that they know. They always ask about their favorite players. We usually, in the city, they're usually very fan-centric on that particular team. Um, and so we kind of, through relationships, because refereeing is very much a relationship business, we do have a relationship with all of these young men that we officiate, and we find out who the readers are, and then we usually try to also model that when they say, you know, my favorite player is this, my favorite player is my player, favorite player is LeBron James. Why did you know that LeBron James reads for about 20 minutes before he puts his headphones on at night? No, we didn't know that. Wow. Or if we're in Chicago, somebody will say, I'm Robin Lopez. Do you know that he likes to read? Pau Gasol, do you know that Pau Gasol reads most books in both Spanish and English? But if he really wants to get into a book, he reads it in Spanish. We speak Spanish. So it's just try to have a connection between reading and the habits of reading and, and the effects of reading. And why is it so important, do you think, for kids to see themselves in a book? Because it creates possibility. It creates possibility. It creates a future. And then in turn, it creates hope. And some of the classrooms that we're in, maybe hope is not right there front and center on a daily basis without reading. But with reading, it is there you know, forever. And I think to model that behavior and to show that you can go and be it's just a gift that keeps on giving. And I just think that's how basic it is, I think, to read to your children. Unfortunately, you know, some families don't have the, the resources or the time or get off task or it hasn't been modeled to them. So they understand the importance of it. And so sometimes, and not sometimes, most of the time are, are underserved schools. And I just think that's why the Time Out for Reading program is so important because it's just providing an avenue for a child who maybe doesn't have the same resources or, or parents aren't able to do the same things, for them to at least have someone show them these these um, behaviors and where these things can go and, and, and the importance of reading. Because it does, it just transcends, it takes you out of your own space, wherever that space is. That's important. You know, we don't, I don't think any of the schools we deal with would be considered um, elitist schools. They're not. They're mostly underserved, underperforming schools. But even take, extrapolate it and take it to children who are of means and do have access. What, what a sad life to just, to not, to not, you can't even appreciate it in a vacuum. Yeah. You can't even appreciate the gifts that you have and the blessings that you have in a vacuum if you don't have access or understand the struggle that other people go through to, to one, appreciate yours. And we'd like to think to then be motivated to help others. Gosh, that's great, Mark. 
what strategies can you use for children who may be reluctant readers or who mm-hmm. may struggle, may have a learning disability? How do you engage them in books that are pretty challenging? Yeah, well, you know, one of the things that we push when we go and do the readings is that the purpose of this is not to have classroom where we walk around and each child reads. The purpose is to model and to read to the children so that they can extrapolate that you're a good reader. This is how you go. And all of us aren't, um, you know, people have different talents, but we go through it. We enjoy it. Uh, we engage. We talk about to the to the classroom beforehand. You know, we don't use the term, We but there's a psychological safety zone here. Everybody's perfectly capable of mispronouncing a word, and we just stop, and we start all over. And we give them a chuckle, and they chuckle at themselves too, and we keep on moving to the next one. So I think we just model that behavior. We're all a very close-knit group. We do tease one another. I think that they see that as well. Um, We don't model that as being um, embarrassing or we just we laugh through it. We have a good time, and I think so. The biggest thing is we just have have try to have fun with it, but we don't have the expertise or the the strategies per se to talk. Uh, technically to someone who may be struggling, but we can talk about commitment and dedication and perseverance. Well, that's wonderful. The students are so lucky to have you. Well, you know how that goes. It's actually very selfish to do this because you get so much more. Our guys, you know, many times they'll be working one city, take the first flight out, five, they get to the next city, you know, have to go to the reading. Always, every man or woman, you know, hour and a half later is uplifted in charge for their day. And so we really do get more than we give in this, I would honestly have to say. Our, the MBRA has, has benefited more from this relationship with Scholastic and these children than they have from us. That, that That's without, without a doubt. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming yeah. in to talk oh, with us. Thank you. Here's Greg Worrell, president of Scholastic Education. Hi, Greg. Welcome to the program. Hi. Great to be with you. We're delighted to have you. We, of course, know you as the president of Scholastic Education. For those not in the building, could you explain what that means? Well, I'll give it a try. Okay. So Scholastic Education is responsible for developing and delivering instructional programs that support teachers in providing their students with the materials that they need to learn and grow. And most importantly, we are focused on equity and ensuring that kids have access to text and any other support that's needed to help them advance and grow. Tell us what equity means. The notion of equity implies that we want to provide every student with the resource that they need at the time that they need it. We know that unfortunately, too many young people come to school with barriers to learning based upon their experience outside of school. It's the unfortunate reality is that too many young people have circumstances in their communities that don't provide them with the resources needed. Our goal is to ensure that when that young person goes into a school building, that the resources that are provided are most relevant to them at the time that they need it. So we work with teachers and administrators to organize programs that provide the unique support that advances them on the learning trajectory and supports them in their learning and their 
ongoing advancement to uh, become productive students and ultimately citizens. It's great work that you guys do, and I know it's multifaceted. You also make time for kids on your own time. Could you tell us about your involvement in Houston Real Men Read? Real Men Read is a program that I'm very proud of. That We started at Scholastic some years ago. It actually began through work that we observed as partners with Chicago Public Schools. At the time, their board president, who was a gentleman named Rufus Williams, had a agreement with Chase, where Chase was sending employees into school buildings to read aloud to young people and to use books as a way of telling their own personal story and what literacy has meant in shaping who they are and building them into productive adults. We worked with Chicago to provide them with the texts that became central to the program and decided that this was something that we needed to distribute and support nationally. So Houston was uh, and is, remains, one of the cities that we've worked with on a consistent basis to provide books and help them build mentorship within their school community. I went there now, I'll say better than 10 years ago, to read aloud to a group of fourth graders. It was actually the first year that we launched the program, and I chose a book called Wings to read aloud to fourth grade students and had a great, great time. And we talked about book. It's a story about dreaming and uh, friendship and uh, what it takes to overcome uh, hurdles that exist in our everyday lives. And at the end of the reading, of course, had a great time with the kids. There was one young man who was sitting in the back of the class quietly And after all of the students left, he came over to me with a scrap of paper and folded up. And I opened it up and it said, Mr. Worrell, please keep your wings strong. So from that moment, uh, we became friends. I asked him, his name is Brad. Uh, Brad, tell me about your dreams. What is it that you intend to do in the future? And he said, well, Mr. Worrell, I'm going to be the next president of Scholastic. (laughs) So I said, well, Brad, we've got work to do. And since then, I've I've been corresponding with him. I've uh, spent time with him in Houston and, of course, um, had him at my home here in New York. And so the whole mentoring experience through uh, discussion around a book really was uh, life-changing, not just for uh, the young man that I'm so proud of today who's now in university, but also for myself as as a friend and a caring adult who wants to make a difference in society. It's been a real gift to me. How has mentoring changed your perspective on the world? Well, I don't know that it's changed my perspective, but it's been reinforcing and helping me to know that everyone can make a difference. And I seek certainly through my work to make sure that I find ways to uh, not just build programs that are systemic that make a difference, but to think first about the impact that we're having on every child. So I know at least I like to believe all of us at Scholastic feel this way, that the mission that we're focused on that begins and ends with the impact that we have on children. I'm very proud of that. Why is it so important for children to have reading role models, to have a community of readers around them, not just a book in front of them? Well, it's so important because they'll be what they see is a, is a frequent mantra that I've heard repeated 
over the years, and all children learn. The question is, what will they learn, and what sorts of exposure will they have? And through our work, we're, we're very much focused on making sure that books provide the right sort of images that expand the opportunity for imagination. Uh, we work with an author who talks about a formula that he calls uh, BHH, Book, Head, and Heart. What does the text say? What are the facts that are attached to your reading? Uh, what do you think about that? So what, what does it mean for your actions as you make judgments about what to do next in your life? And then how do you feel about that? You asked how has mentoring impacted me. Uh, through literacy, I like to think that I'm also uh, reaching into the hearts of young people and having uh, the kind of impact that makes them feel differently about who they are and more positively about their opportunities as they move forward in life. Who was your reading mentor growing up? That's a great question. I'll tell you, I had many, but my first book was given to me by my uncle, Charles, and it was an A.A. A. Milne book. Now We Are Six. And it was an old, tattered copy of his. It was an original copyright from 1927. Oh and I remember receiving the book and just the condition of it, the texture, the stories he told me about it were so powerful to me. I remember that moment, and it's the moment that I became a reader. Oh, gosh. What a beautiful story, Greg. Finally, I'd love to ask, what books do you recommend to children in your life? I recommend to friends and young people that they pursue their passions. So whatever interests you, whatever it might be, there's a book that provides the information and an additional insight that uh, can spark the next thought in your imagination. There's a saying here at Scholastic that you are what you read. And we really believe in that statement. And our focus is in ensuring that uh, young people have access to text so that they can become whatever they want to be by having exposure to the right information and ideas and creativity that can open a world. Greg, this is the first time I've seen you since the death of the great Phyllis Hunter. I knew her because of you one of the greatest literacy champions I've ever known. She made sure that every child had access to books. You want to just tell our listeners a little bit about her and what a force she was? She was quite a force and remains so. Uh, those of us, uh, thank you, Suzanne, for mentioning her, those of us that uh, know and uh, knew and, and love Phyllis Hunter carry her message and her work and her passion with us every day. Phyllis's mantra was, reading is the new civil right. She recognized that uh, every child and every person should have access to texts that can expand their horizons in so many ways. She worked uh, tirelessly over, uh, well, her entire life, but particularly uh, the last 30 years uh, with us here at Scholastic and schools across the country to bring a message of hope and power uh, that is associated with reading and literacy. And we will miss her very much, uh, but always grateful for her memory and her work. Well said. She was just one of the greatest people. And she told she sang James Brown to yeah, us she did. <laughs> on top of it. I all. feel good. Yeah. And, and be happy. Yeah. Right? Happy That's was right. how she closed her but meetings. Yeah. yeah, she surely did. That's right. She taught us to be joyful in everything that we do. Yeah. Oh, I, I miss her too. Well, thank you so much for talking with us, Greg. Uh, thank you, Suzette. It's always a pleasure. 
again to our guests for joining us. And thank you for listening. For more information about our guests and their reading mentorship programs, check the show notes or go to scholasticreads.com. Don't miss an episode of Scholastic Reads. Find us and subscribe in your favorite podcast app, and each episode will automatically be delivered to your phone. Special thanks to producer Emily Morrow, sound engineers Daniel Jordan and Chris Johnson, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberl. I'm Suzanne McKee. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time.